You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law for the 3rd of March uh, 2020. You're on 3CR Community Radio. It's 8.55 on AM or 3CR Digital. Or you could be streaming online, 3cr.org.au. You're with Daniel Bavcevic and Sue Robertson tonight. How are you doing, Sue? I'm well, thanks, Dan. And you? I am very well, too. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. <laughs> um, it's uh, just us, unfortunately. No Gemma, uh, yeah. as per usual. Our so- usual buddy. Yeah, yes. so we've uh, scrounged together a really interesting show for you. Um, I should note that we're very proud to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're broadcasting on and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging here at 3CR. Um, so our main discussion tonight is going to be about juries yeah, and the jury system yes. in uh, a criminal justice perspective. What happens when you're called up for jury duty? What are the changing responses of the criminal justice system to dealing with jurors and access to information in a world of 24-hour news cycles and social media? And we're lucky enough to be able to speak with a criminal prosecutor and researcher, Gemma Holt, who has quite a lot of expertise in this area. That will be a bit later on in the program. (laughs) Not too long from now. Yes, yes. <laughs> but first... Um, we get to speak about naughty jurors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first, we're going to be talking about the news in brief. So over to you, Sue, first. Over to me. Right. News in brief. Um, well, firstly, uh, <laughs> Victoria is finally aligning itself with every other state in Australia and getting a spent conviction scheme. So this means this, uh, that there was a state parliament committee inquiry um, into spent convictions. They're old convictions, you know, happened a long time ago. And a scheme um, that was tabled, uh, sorry, a report that was tabled last week about that um, idea. And the government has committed to introducing a scheme that will see people with criminal records that are more than 10 years old um, that they not be unfairly prejudiced. And um, so the records won't be releasable on a police check, which will have important impacts for people accessing employment, voluntary roles and housing and, of course, other consequences. And um, we also know that there's going to be a special done-by-law program on this very issue in... Very soon. Hopefully um, this month. This Um, month. Yes, Yes. hopefully. So (laughs) we'll leave that to one of the other teams. Yes. Um, But it's really exciting news, especially um, for a lot of us working in the community legal space or Mm. engaged in criminal law. Mm. Uh, Not to um, have this scheme has sort of been a bit of a a blight on Victoria's 
uh, sure criminal has. justice system. Mm. So, I mean, people, yeah, people can get stuck with one mistake that they've yeah. made and it shows up on a record you apply for a job or something and yeah you may as well have um, been a murderer they say some yeah people, so. exactly a police check for all sorts of reasons yeah. now gosh they seem to be infiltrating all sorts of areas of life yeah um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean look it, it's, it's not to say that people shouldn't have police checks but mm. the, it's the way that um mm. they can impact yes um people's perceptions of of how someone might be able to yeah. deal with a task based exactly. on one challenge they faced more than ten years ago. So. Yeah. So that's that's really really exciting news. It's it's mm. obviously not in force yet. Yet. But no. <laughs> the government is committed to um, legislating it this year, hopefully. Yep. So, so they still have to write up the legislation. Could be a while yet, Dan. <laughs> well, hopefully it's twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, and the next, the next news item has actually makes me smile a bit because I live in a, I live in an apartment building that has um, a huge number of pets in it that I know about because every time there's a, a fire alarm evacuation, <laughs> these enormous dogs in particular <laughs> come come out of all of these four-legged creatures and two-legged creatures emerge from the building and you think, gosh, I think there's almost more pets than people. <laughs> So, it seems, yeah, it does seem like that. Yeah. What sometimes. kind of pets are we talking? Uh, dogs, you, mostly dogs and cats, mm. you know, but there are the other, you know, birds. Um, presu- yeah. the, I assume there are some goldfish around, but they don't get brought out in <laughs> yeah. the um, <laughs> in the fire evacuation. Uh, do you yeah. have any pets of your own? I do. A cat. Ah, yeah. Just one? What's it's very it's? tricky catching her under the bed when the what's, fire alarm goes what's your off. Cat, what's your cat's name? Uh, gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry to reveal that uh, really yes. interesting information. But please of, tell us more about the, the, the pet news. The pet news is that there are new reforms about pets and tenancy in Victoria and they commenced on Monday, just gone. So landlords now cannot unreasonably withhold consent for a tenant to have a pet. Of course, we all know the unreasonably issue is something that lawyers love to play with, but anyway, it's there at least. And uh, there's now a very easy form that a tenant um, can fill out and send to their landlord requesting permission for a pet. And if the consent is unreasonably withheld, then the tenant can't be evicted because they have a pet. Again, you know, what unreasonably means will yeah. obviously present itself in tribunal, I, probably. Yeah, clearly. But I think mm-hmm. um, I think it's fair to say that um, in most cases, people aren't unreasonably no. keeping a pet unless no. you're... How can you be unreasonably? Yeah. I'm sure this will become very interesting <laughs> yeah. fodder for the tribunal. I'm sure there might be situations <laughs> where a very small unit is inappropriate for a really large dog or well, something. Now see, when you mention that, mm. you would think that a greyhound yeah, a is large a dog. very large dog. Yeah. And I have neighbours who have greyhounds in very small apartments. That's true. Like That's one true. bedroom apartments. And when I talk to them, they say they are the laziest dogs ever and they spend yes. most of their time. I on have neighbours I have neighbours of the greyhounds and they say the same thing. They yes. just sleep for twenty hours a day. So you can never tell. That, that's right. My so, cat I mean, is much smaller than that, and she is much more mobile. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Needs there you go. <laughs> that's mm. really exciting news. I think it's mm. important to note as well that there's actually a particular form that mm. you need to fill out if you're a tenant 
and mm-hmm. give that to your landlord requesting permission for a pet. And you can get that form quite easily on the Consumer Affairs Victoria website. website. Mm. So if you just Google Consumer Affairs Victoria yeah. and pets, I'm sure yeah. you'll get straight to that link. Mm. It's um, pretty good. Yeah. Mm. But that, that's a, that's um, something that's great. And mm. I mean, you, you've also got, I think, bear in mind though that just because you have now the right to have a pet doesn't mean that you're not responsible for um, the other duties you have as a of tenant course. of mm. not not causing a nuisance and, and not and damaging looking after the property. Yeah. Yes. So it, it doesn't doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you you get away with that, mm. um, but it, it's awesome because there's often um, clients I've encountered who need pets for. Uh, yeah. support purposes mm. um definitely there's yeah, their company you know for their family you know um for lots of people um yeah who are alone in particular so um yeah pets are important mm. heaps of people too that um are willing to look after a pet that um mm-hmm. might have been um taken to the pound you know a rescue And um, they haven't got the permission from their landlord, but now it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I understand most of the greyhounds in my building that I observe in those fire evacuations are rescue greyhounds. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of rescue pets around and and they deserve a home with people and nice people, of course. (laughs) Well, look, um, Sue, uh, we'll go to a little short break. I think. And then when we get back, we'll um, be joined by Gemma Holt and be talking to you all about juries. So stay tuned. You're on 3CR and this is Done By Law. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Welcome back to 3CR. Uh, Done by Law is the program you're listening to, 8.55am or 3cr.org.au or 3CR Digital. You're you're on Done by Law, the show where we talk about legal current affairs with Sue Robertson and Daniel Bavcevich. Sue's with me at the moment. Hi, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking you there. That's yes, a- I'm here. <laughs> and we're uh, we're about to now delve into the wonderful and mysterious world of juries and the jury system. It's uh, it's a really interesting topic that we have considered looking into for a long time now. So, um, so famously, it is. <laughs> sorry, oh, you're yeah, all good. Just, there. You can't see what we're doing here. We, there were we were just fiddling around with the panel because um, a little tech issue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mark Twain um, famously regarded the trial by jury as the most ingenious and infallible agency for defeating justice that human wisdom could contrive. So he wasn't in favour then. <laughs> That's right. Um, and each year around 25,000 Victorians are called to attend court for jury service. Around 6,500 of those actually make it to the courtroom and are on a jury. Um, the Australian Constitution guarantees that any offence against a federal law shall be a trial by jury. Mm-hmm. 
not necessarily state, state criminal level. law. Mm. However, the concept of the trial by jury is something that's been born centuries ago and it has had really seemingly little room for development. Famously or infamously, um, the media has been prevented from reporting about the criminal trials of George Pell and others under suppression orders in order to assure a fair trial so that a jury can't be swayed or biased mm. by information that's published. can't be affected, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the Victorian government and other states have now introduced or proposed to introduce legislation to allow jurors to hear about the sex offence history of people on trial for child mm. sex offences. I think that's just happened in New South Wales. Yes, yeah. that's right. And mm. the Victorian government has now committed to introducing similar legislation. Yep. So the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute recently published a report recommending that jurors are given clear directions before a trial begins about the use of the internet and social media. These recommendations drew from research around the country, including the Victorian approach to jury directions. The reality is that a jury is used in the minority of criminal cases in the state, with the vast majority of criminal matters dealt with summarily, which means they're dealt with by a single magistrate. However, when a person faces a serious indictable criminal charge, it is often before a jury, a panel of 12 community members selected at random to determine an outcome on the evidence presented at court. Tonight we are joined by Gemma Holt, a criminal prosecutor who has practiced both in South Australia and Tasmania, who was a research fellow and acting executive officer of research at the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. It was during that time that she authored the report Social Media, Jurors and the Right of an Accused to a Fair Trial, including the underlying research and community consultation. Gemma is currently working as a researcher with the South Australian Law Reform Institute on a similar project, The Modern Right to a Fair Trial, Juries, Social Media and Suppression Orders. We are lucky enough to be joined by Gemma Holt tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gemma. Thank you for having me. No problem. Welcome, Gemma. <laughs> Thank you. So, Gemma, you've done a lot of research in this space and been um, central to the publication of the recent report by the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. Um, what have been the key focuses of your research and what have been some of the noticeable issues that need to be addressed with jury trials? Uh, so from the outset, the focus of the research really was jurors' use of social media and the internet uh, when they were uh, sitting on criminal trials. Uh, the potential impact of this um, and what it uh, may impact on the accused right to a fair trial. Uh, the underlying premise of all jury trials is that jurors are supposed to consider evidence and return verdicts without uh, any outside influence or bias. Uh, what we're looking at is the risks posed when jurors are online and when they use social media and the internet inappropriately while they're sitting on trials. That's, uh, and so that's, that's um, something that's obviously quite a recent development, obviously, with access to internet really being only a 21st century issue, I guess, for jurors. Um, so... Certainly. Did, did your research um, uncover any particular examples of jury misuse of social media and the internet that have been particularly concerning or um, cases that have had a particular impact in shaping the way the laws responded? 
I think in response to that question, um, it's just a matter of how much time you guys have. Humor us, please. There are a lot of examples um, across all Australian jurisdictions. Uh, we looked at uh, all states in Australia, and there were examples of uh, misconduct involving jurors' use of the internet and social media. Not all of them, of course, uh, were dealt with and had such an impact on the trial as to derail the trial um, or end up in the jurors uh, being punished in any way. However, they nevertheless are examples of misconduct. There were also some particularly extreme examples uh, overseas in England and the United States. Um, we have examples of jurors uh, sending Facebook friend requests to accuse persons, witnesses, oh, well. uh, that is during the actual trials occurring. Um, by way of a particular example, um, a 2016 example um, in a trial in Broken Hill, um, uh, one that I'll share with you, there was yeah. a juror sitting on a sexual offending trial. That juror posted on Facebook the day before the guilty verdict was returned, a post that said, when a dog attacks a child, it is put down. Shouldn't we do the same with sex predators? Oh, and this wow. post was accompanied by a photograph that showed images of rooms and implements which, uh, by which lawful executions right. were carried out. And what, what was the impact of that particular juror's post on the trial, if any? So that was um, found out after the fact, and that is a matter that, um, to my understanding, is still um, uh, being determined by the appeal courts insofar as the effect that that might have after the fact on the verdicts in that matter. Um, so that is, that is an example that I've chosen, particularly because it shows that it's not just about um, the more well-known example of jurors going online to search on purpose uh, details about legal terms or details about the trial. It really can be in a whole host of ways uh, involving jurors posting um, potential biases, prejudices online, which may... Um, disclose the interference with their roles as jurors. That's um, that's an interesting example, the Broken Hill example. Is there is there any examples that came up in your research? You know, I might be putting some pressure on you here, Gemma, that related to Victoria in particular. Yeah, so in terms of it, um, uh, misconduct of this kind occurring in Victoria, there have been documented examples. Uh, one that I can uh, pick out for you off the top of my head is in 2010, um, a little while ago now, a potential juror in Victoria, that is a juror who is at the courthouse but hasn't been impanelled or chosen to sit on a particular trial. That juror is sitting at the courthouse and posts on his Facebook page, everyone's guilty. Um, that's, of course, a, a pretty good example of a juror disclosing the fact that, um, or very likely the fact that they've made up their mind uh, before they've even heard any of the evidence or started to sit on a trial. So in that particular example, was that, was that person actually then impaneled as a juror and then sat on a, on a case after posting that? No, to my knowledge, that juror wasn't chosen um, as a juror on a particular trial for that very reason. Oh, so they... they it was known about. It was, was So the post was known about and that prevented them from being able to be a juror? Yeah, that's, that's my understanding. Okay. Right. 
I'm going to pay a little bit of devil's advocate here mm. and um, what, what would happen if uh, that wasn't found out beforehand and the person was impanelled, um, what, what's your opinion about what could happen? Because, you know, often people who have strong opinions like that may actually have their mind changed by evidence that's presented to them. So what, what are your thoughts about um, that possibility? Yeah, absolutely. And there is a, a process um, that the courts have in the way that they deal uh, with um, juror irregularities such as that. So if it um, has not been found out, um, it may be the case that it comes to light either during the trial or after the trial. Um, if it comes up during the trial, uh, the court makes an inquiry of that juror and all the parties involved to determine what exactly has happened and what that may have, what impact that may have on the juror's ability to continue to sit impartially and return a verdict only according to the evidence. So it's really up to the court and everyone involved in that trial to make that inquiry and to um, come to a decision as to whether that jury can continue or not. It gets a bit more complicated if things come out after the trial is finished and verdicts have been returned. And it's really, um, it's more complicated because the, the issue is dealt with by the Court of Criminal Appeal and the court needs to um, tread very delicately and not inquire too much as to jury deliberations and what is said, but still determine whether what has happened, uh, that jury irregularity, uh, has caught a miscarriage of justice. Rightio. Well, we we haven't um, got that long, unfortunately. We wish we no. could keep delving into this um, this interesting discussion. It's really fascinating. Um, but some of the points you've raised, Gemma, seem to me that there could be so many instances where jurors are reading news on the news feed, on whatever social media app they're using, or just scrolling through the internet, or get notifications or messages and emails and whatnot. Uh, in this world of information. Um, almost innocently. Almost innocently. Yeah. And how's the court to know that they're being impacted by this information? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That is um, one of the big uh, matters that was highlighted by our research. And it's a matter that um, juror misconduct of this kind, juror's use of social media and the internet, is by its very nature difficult to detect. Mm. Uh, that is uh, really what underlies our key finding. And that is that we must focus on juror education. If jurors um, are educated at every stage of the process, understand what they can do and what they can't do, what that enables them to do is self-regulate. It means that they know the consequences and they know exactly what they can and can't do. And it's really that that will enable courts to be satisfied that jurors are doing their role properly. So it seems that the, the recommendations are that the court, it's the responsibility of the court now to ensure they're educating jurors or potential jurors. How, how exactly is that achieved? So um, the report um, in Tasmania has identified two crucial stages when jurors are really told in a lot of detail uh, what they need to do as jurors and, more importantly, what they can't do. Um, that occurs when they have their initial induction, and that's by court staff at the courthouse before they're even chosen to sit as jurors. The second one is after they've been chosen to sit on a trial, the directions they're given by the trial judge. Uh, the report recommends that um, those directions on social media and the internet are model directions. 
that is standardised, so they're the same in every case, and they include everything. Um, and that is something that Victoria and New South Wales already do in terms of judicial direction, and that's something that um, in Tasmania we've highlighted as um, a job well done. So that's that's very interesting to know that that's the response is not uh, one where there's more there's a need to monitor but more a need to educate. Do you, do you feel there's a need to provide more surveillance of jurors or restrictions on jurors' access to information? It's pretty hard to do that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and that that really is um, where what we came to in terms of the conclusion uh, that it is almost impossible to effectively control what jurors do when they're sitting on trials when it comes to social media and the internet. So in terms of surveillance and even um, harsher limitations on what they can and can't do, there is no real way to be able to effectively surveil and or enforce um, those limitations. Well, yeah. Gemma, it's been a pleasure having you mm. on the show. Unfortunately, we've just run out of time now. It's uh, coming up to the end of Dunbar Law and 3CR. We really appreciate having you as a guest and yes, sharing your you knowledge. thank you for your time. So fascinating. Um, and that's, that's all we've been able to fit in for what's, what's the deal with juries and how to respond to social media access to information. Stay tuned to 3CR now for Voices of West Papua. This has been Done By Law once again, signing out. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.